why you should not start a business, potentially. So the statistics are, and you can get a lot of different statistics, but I think the, it's pretty universal that like about 70% of new businesses fail within 10 years. So like a, a large percentage fail within the first year, but by the 10 year mark, like 70% of businesses fail. Um, you often have to work long hours. It's not a, a nine to five. You, you don't typically get the luxury of 40 hour weeks, at least not at the beginning. And then entrepreneurship is not for everybody. There's just no doubt about that. Certain people just don't have the stamina for it, don't have the, you know, they just are better off just working a job for somebody else. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we need great employees. Trust me, I need more of them. So um, there's nothing wrong with that. And then it's often hard on family and marriage. And there's just, it's because of the fact that it's so demanding. Oftentimes entrepreneurs are just so committed and dedicated to what they're doing that everything else sort of falls by the wayside. And so uh, that's one reason why it's good to start when you're young. I, I personally started the business that I run now when I was 19. And so that gave me six years before I got married to get all the kinks worked out and work those long hours. So that doesn't mean that you can't do it if you're already married, but you do have to definitely balance that family, marriage, and, uh, and business. And it can be difficult. Yeah, the other, well, on the note of um, why it's not for everybody, this was something that I found in researching for this that was interesting, that um, entrepreneurs have a 23% higher rate of depression, which I thought was interesting. It's stressful. And so, you know, if things aren't going great, you know, the, the average um, depression rate is like 7%, but in entrepreneurs, it's 30%. So that's uh, interesting. But it is important to not let the business consume your life. You have to definitely have those boundaries. All right, so why you should start a business. And we're going to focus more on this because I think you should. Um, first of all, you can set your own schedule. And I have been accused of being uh, fiercely independent. And it's probably true. I don't like to be told what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Um, so if you have your own business, you, you run the show. You don't have to, you're not necessarily um, reporting to anybody. And then the, the second thing is there's no cap on your income potential, really. I mean, it, there can potentially be depending on what kind of a business you decide to start. But in general, if you run your own business, you set the, the, the cap. It all depends on how hard you want to work. Um, like, for instance, if you're, just, if you're working, say, as a nurse for a hospital, there's only a certain amount that nurses get paid. Whereas if you are running your own business doing, you know, in-home nursing or something like that, just say, you know, you can hire more nurses, you can expand the business, you can grow it, you can grow into other states around you, you can do whatever you want, and, and there's just no cap on it. Working for, okay, often there's wonderful ministry opportunities. You know, if you have a, depends on also what kind of business you're doing, but if you have a service business, you're working like retail or something, you're working with, um, directly with customers, you have basically opportunity to do whatever you want. Now you have to be careful because you can still get in trouble with, you know, speaking your mind, unfortunately. Um, it's challenging, but it's so rewarding. Um, when, when you start to see success, um, it is very rewarding, tr extremely awarding, rewarding. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention, too, on that no cap on income potential, this is something that I feel like especially Adventists, we start to get a little bit uncomfortable talking about money and, like, you know, making lots of money and this sort of stuff. So the... You know, people think, well, money is the root of evil. It's not. The love of money is the root of evil. And that is something I have to be very clear on. Um, and the other thing is, like, you are in business to make money. Like, if you're not in business to make money, um, it's a nonprofit ministry <laughs> at best. So um, this is a really cool quote. Um, the desire to accumulate wealth is an original affection of our nature implanted there by our heavenly father for noble ends. So the desire to, to achieve success financially is a desire that was implanted in our beings by our heavenly father um, for noble ends. Now that does not mean that there aren't a lot of unnoble ends that, that means can be used for, but um, that's why we have, you know, spirit of prophecy in the Bible to guide us.
Um, another quote, no man is excusable for being without financial ability. Of many a man, it may be said, he is kind, amiable, generous, a good man, a Christian, but he is not qualified to manage his own business. As far as the outlay of means is concerned, he is a mere child. He has not been brought up by his parents to understand and to practice the principles of self-support. So I'll also mention that this, some of you may recognize this, this is an Adventist home in the section on what a woman should be looking for in a, a future husband. <laughs> so guys, you got to pay special attention to this. It doesn't, it's not good enough just to be a good guy that's a Christian and, um, you know, generous and nice and, and whatever. Um, it's important to, to have financial ability. And that does not necessarily mean to be rich. That just means to be a good steward. You have to be, you have to understand how to use money, how to practice economy, how to not spend more than you're making, these types of things. Super important. And to a certain extent, as a business owner, you're sort of forced to learn these lessons. If you don't learn these lessons early on, you will fail, uh, most likely, or or you'll just live miserably and you'll be in that 30% of business owners that are um, depressed and stressed their whole life. You don't want to be stressed. It's no fun. Um, So the next quote is, uh, really a great one also. The Bible is our guide. Um, it can be our guide, and I just want to encourage everybody use the Bible as a guide. There is no branch of legitimate business for which the Bible does not afford an essential preparation. Its principles of diligence, honesty, thrift, temperance, and purity are the secret of true success. These principles are set forth in the book of Proverbs. Constitute a tr- uh, Sorry, these principles as set forth in the book of Proverbs, constitute a treasury of practical wisdom. Where can, where can the merchant, the artisan, the director of men, and any department of business find better maxims for himself or for his employees than are found in these words of the wise man? And she goes on, and I included them in here to, to sort of list some of these Proverbs that are so, uh, so powerful. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mere men. Um, mean men, correct. But there's also, I, for some reason, have this one sort of memorized as mere men, I think, in multiple different, um, it's kind of the same word. But um, In all labor, there is profit, but the talk of, uh, uh, sorry, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. So I meant to look up that word. I mean, basically, um, if you're just chit-chatting, which, you know, and you're not really working, then, you know, you're not going to succeed. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs thirteen four. Okay. And then the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. She says, how many a man might have escaped financial failure and ruin by heeding the warnings so often repeated and emphasized in the scriptures. So here's some of those financial warnings. He that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And there's so many people that just want to get rich quick. And there is no such thing as... Um, well, I, should, I mean, there, it's not that there is no such thing, but it typically is not a good way to to obtain wealth. Wealth gotten in haste shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall have increase. It's interesting. I mean, for instance, if you just look at people who win the lottery, I don't know the statistics, but it's insane how fast that money just disappears. Nobody who wins the lottery actually uses that money wisely. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro, of them that seek death. And then these are ones that talk about debt and, uh, and being a collateral or whatever for, for, uh, other, for a friend or for, you know, the borrower is servant to the lender. He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, and he that hateth shirtship is sure. So, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say debt is 
evil or a sin by any means, but you have to be very wise in the way that you use it. Study what the Bible has to say. Study what spirit of prophecy has to say. There's a lot of counsel, but I think it's not clear that it says you should not ever be in debt, but you for sure want to put yourself in a situation where you're not unwisely in debt, where you're you're in a situation you can pay it off relatively easily. Our first duty toward, toward God and to our fellow beings is that of self-development. Let me preface this a little bit. This was a quote that um, Scott Ritzma used last night. I believe most of you guys probably saw it. But this, I think, is, is super important. Uh, the reason why, you know, or I guess a big reason why you can beat the odds of succeeding in business. I think those statistics of, of small businesses that fail within the first you know, few years are, are largely warped because of the fact that so many people get into business um, light, you know, lightly. They don't take it seriously. They don't maybe have a serious business plan. Um, it's sort of just a hobby and they want to turn it into something that makes money. Or they're just lazy and they think that running your own business is going to be an easier way to make a living than working for somebody else. Not. <laughs> so this I thought was really cool. Our first du- du- duty toward God and to our fellow beings is that of self-development. Every faculty with which the Creator has endowed us should be cultivated to the highest degree of perfection, that we may be able to do the greatest amount of good of which we are capable. So, I mean, this is a really important point. If you're not taking self-development seriously, there's going to be plenty of things as you start running a business that you're going to be like, man, I really need to work on this area. Or, I mean, it's been simple things for me. Like I've realized I never really learned typing well in, in school. And the more you get into business and the more emails you have to write, you start realizing, man, if I could type faster than 25 words a minute, I could really get a lot more work done. So these are the kind of things. Well, rather than just settling and being like, well, I didn't learn it, so I'm just going to do my little two-finger peck thing. Um, Go and figure, you know, it's not too late to learn. Take some time, get a little typing thing. That's something that I'm actually, one of my goals for this year is, is to uh, improve in my typing. Just being honest and vulnerable. But if you're not willing to, to commit your life to self-improvement and improving every area of weakness in your life, um, you might not succeed as, as, I mean, you definitely will not succeed to the level that you could if you take this counsel seriously. Um, All right, so I think that's sort of what, I'm, what I have as far as the why and a little bit into the, the how as far as this, the counsel that we have from the Bible and spirit of prophecy. Um, and then we'll move a little bit into the, um, the how side of it. And what I was going to focus on in this slideshow was a few, a few things that I've been working on recently that I think if I had worked on at the beginning of my business, um, things would have gone a lot smoother. Um, yeah, I was going to, so no man is excusable for being without financial means at this quote. I was going to share a story that I thought was really important on the topic of debt and also just learning how to manage your money. So this is when I started the, the current business that I run is called farmer's friend and we manufacture tools and sell a lot of supplies for the small farm industry. And I started the business in, in 2012 and uh, did not have money to, to start the business. And so I went out and sort of put together a business plan, went to a few different people that I knew had some money and pitched it. I wasn't looking for investors because I didn't want to let go equity in the company. I was just looking for people who had money and were willing to just loan it to me. So the Lord really led. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And some people came that had money and, and loaned it to me um, with interest and I was off to the races. A lot of hard hits along the way, but the biggest lesson here is that I was not properly managing the money as it came in. And so what happened is I was supposed to have that money. It was about $50,000 paid back, um, within two years. That was the sort of the goal. And it just didn't go like I was expecting. But again, a lot of it had to do with just not managing that money wisely. And so what happened is at the two-year mark, I still had yet to pay a dime off. And, you know, they were really gracious. And, but at the same time, the interest was accruing annually. So it's like, they're okay. They didn't need the money. It's just more interest, right? So, but at that point, I was like, you know what? This is crazy. I got to figure this out. So 
I talked with some mentors, and they put they they looked at what was happening, and they said, you know what, you got to manage the money because it's coming in, it's going out, and you're not really keeping track of where it's going, what's happening, that sort of thing. So what I did is I at that point it was a simple business. All we were doing was selling just the greens harvester, which we still sell. And I knew exactly how much our cost of goods sold was for that item, how much all the materials was. And um, so what we did is like, okay, everyone that we sell, we're getting X amount of money. Let's minus the cost of goods sold out of that. Say it's $300. It costs us $150. We have $150 profit. That's gross profit it's considered. But, and then you have to take out operating expenses. So it's like, okay, we need um, $2,000 a month to pay rent, this sort of stuff. And then the rest of it, unless you're buying other things, that's profit. And so what I started doing is every time we would sell a unit, I'd set aside what we had calculated, you know, say, I don't remember exactly, but maybe $25 of that gross profit goes to operating expenses, the rest. And, and I just opened up a separate account, bank account, and just started putting that money aside for every unit that we sold. And at the end of the three years, um, with interest, I owed like $75,000. And so after putting in that process of managing the, the, the income, um, that $75,000 was paid off in one year. Um, so that's kind of a dramatic example of what the difference that tracking money and managing it wisely can make when you compare it to not managing it wisely. Um, all right, so going back to where we ended, um, we're going to move into some of the really important things when you're starting a business. So first of all, you have to really focus on having a world-class product or a service. Um, if you're doing a, a physical product, you know, say you're, I mean, for a lot of the younger kids, we all, st- I started out baking bread or making, you know, simple stuff like that. All right. If you're going to do that, make sure you have a really high quality bread. Don't just settle with, oh, this is the recipe we've always made. It tastes good. Let's just sell it. You know, try a bunch of different things. This world is full of products and full of different things nowadays. And so if yours doesn't stand apart, if you don't have something a little bit better, a little bit more unique, you don't have a better brand or you're representing your product in a better way, it just gets lost in a clutter of a gazillion different products and services that are out there. And so you really have to focus on making sure that, that your product stands apart. Um, yeah. The, you know, the kind of the, the fundamental, what is a business is a business creates a product or some kind of service and sells it to customers for more than it costs to create it. That's the basis of a business. You, you have to figure out what you're selling, how much it costs you, include your profit, and, and that's, what you're, that's what a business is. Um, so this is what I wanted to focus on a little bit here. Core values uh, are something that are super important in a business. And when you're just starting out, that's the time to, to focus on this. Um, and I am not even going to use our own company core values and our own company mission statement. We're going to get into that in a second as the example here because we are still working on this, still trying to fine tune it. Um, but core values is really what is the, the backbone of the business. Um, I've heard people say things like running a business without core values is kind of like hiking without a compass, going like trekking across country. You don't really, you're just going. You don't know exactly where you're going. You don't know where you're trying to, what goal you're trying to reach. You don't have any compass. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. And so um, core values are just really important. But before you create company core values, what's also important to do is create personal core values. Try to identify the things that you personally hold as, as sacred in your life. Um, you know, what takes, uh, well, so principles, the, the core value are sort of the principles, like a framework of your company. And so um, if, if you don't base, build your company core values off of your personal core values, um, it's just a constant conflict. So what you believe directly reflects, you know, what your business believes. And so they, they have to be aligned. Okay, so when you're looking at trying to develop your own core values, the things that you would want to be considering are, are like what's most important to, to, 
to yourself personally? Um, what are the guiding principles that you identify with? What are the core values I practice each day? What values would I like to live, would I like to live but, I'm actually a, a, but I'm not actually achieving? Um, what does success look like to me? These are kind of questions that you want to ask yourself and just write down a list of what are my personal core values. And then when you do that, you can start to formulate your business core values. Um, I'm going to escape here for a second just because I had a document pulled up that um, I was going to just mention sort of quickly what some core values can look like. Um, and also, I, I have a lot of information that I can email to people like this PDF, which is sort of a how to create core values and what they look like. Um, and so I'll pull up a document on a com my computer and afterwards, anybody who wants to come in and put your email can definitely do that. And then I'll just shoot all this stuff over to you. But um, so this is a, a company that I um, am actually doing some there. I'm part of a coaching thing with them, but they have some really incredible core values and, and mission as a company. So um, some of their core values are like a self-employed mentality. They want all of their employees um, to have that mentality of like, I own this job. This is, this is not just something that I'm just doing whatever I'm told. It's like really having that, that mentality of this is, this is, I have ownership in this. Um, not really because I'm just sort of cherry picking, but, um, you know, core values would be things like righteous living. We believe that character matters all the time. Um, no gossip. That's a really important one. If you're, you know, I'm not going to allow people to talk negatively about other people. You're not going to allow people to talk negatively of their coworkers, that sort of thing. You know, team, uh, we're a team member, not employees, um, stuff like this. That'd be kind of examples of what core values would look like for a business. All right, back to the slides. And the next thing we're going to talk about is mission statements. So the core values are kind of for yourself personally. That's like the backbone of your business. It's not necessarily something that you put out there for your customers just to see. This is what your business operates on as, as core values. The mission statement, on the other hand, is who we are as a company. This is what you want your it's what you base your decisions on as a company, what you base your, your goals on, but it's also something that you can share with your, your customers so they can understand what you're about and, and try to resonate with you. So um, you want, you want your, your uh, mission statement to basically say who the company is. Who you're not is almost just as important as who you are um, and why you're in business. What are we here for? So what, you, what the company is, what you're not, and why you're in business. These are the three most important things about coming up with a mission statement. So again, this company that I'm mentioning, um, some of you may know Dave Ramsey, Ramsey and uh, Entree Leadership. This is, this is what I'm referencing here. So um, this is their mission statement as a company. We provide biblically-based common sense education and empowerment that gives hope to everyone in every walk of life. So that's their mission statement. They're saying who they are, who they're not, but just sort of by default, they're saying this is our focus. We're not doing other things. And, um, and what they do, they give hope. So this is really important because if you don't have a mission statement, if you don't have defined goals, like this is what we're, what we're trying to achieve, then um, an opportunity can come up that that may seem like, oh, that opportunity makes money. Or, and, and trust me, I have gone down this rabbit hole. You know, our business, we are focused on providing quality tools and supplies for the small farm industry. We got in a situation where we started having some larger companies contact us. And we're like, hey, can you develop some harvesting tools for, um, for doing this large-scale microgreens production? It was like all indoor hydroponic stuff. And it was like, well, maybe, I guess we could, you know, and they start like, it doesn't matter how much it costs, you know, it's just, we, we need a solution. So we went down this for like two or three years developing these things. And we had people flying in from overseas and all this kind of stuff to look, you know, and we sold some, but at, at a certain point we realized, you know what, we're off track. It doesn't matter how much this potentially could earn um, and how much interest we have. This is not what we're about. And so when we, we had eventually just said, you know what, we're just shelving that whole project. We, we just totally abandoned it at the time. But it was a good decision because 
we, it allowed us to go back to our focus, which was small-scale agriculture and not getting tangled up in something else that has the potential of making a bunch of money but is not what our focus is. And so you have to have that focus, something that you can basically um, filter any opportunities that come your way through this. And also, if you're looking at expanding into new product lines or whatever, you want to make sure that everything the company does is aligning with, with your mission statement. All right, so... I think um, we'll jump over since there was literally only two people here that um, were a part of our uh, last year's. I'm going to jump over to some of those slides. So we kind of mentioned, touched on this a little bit. What is a business? A business creates product or service and sells it to a customer for more than it costs to create it. Really simple. Um, Another really important thing is to have a value proposition. What product or service are you going to offer? This is, uh, you know, sort of the fundamental building blocks, the starting point. You have to know what you're going to do. Um, and then what sets you apart from other companies? Going back to, like, what I mentioned before, it has to be something that, that has that you're doing better than somebody else or you have a better brand that, that relates to the customer better, something like that. How does the product benefit the customer? This is, these are all things you have to think about because there's a lot of products out there that it's a great idea, but it's not really bringing value to people. Um, so then we, we'll touch on things like business name. Um, these are kind of a couple things. And again, if I, if I get your email address, I can just email both these slideshows over to you um, so that you guys can use these as sort of um, foundation for, for working on your business. But... Um, Business names should be short, catchy, descriptive, future-proof, um, and that's something that a lot of people don't think about. You know, you don't want to name your business something that uh, limits the future potential of it. Um, never use your name in your business. I mean, it, I guess it's it's one thing if you're doing like, you know, if you're eight years old and you're just doing granola or something, and you know, maybe that's okay. But at the same time, what happens if you decide? Um, you know, 10 years down the road that you want to really make this granola biz business a big thing and you're, you're the next, uh, you know, one degree bakery or something. Um, you don't want Abigail's, you know, <laughs> granola crunch or whatever. Um, what's that? Yeah, well, I mean, maybe your last name, okay. Um, yeah, four-syllable... Uh, under four syllables is best for a business name. That's something to keep in mind. You don't want something really long that, that's hard to say. Um, and then really get a lot of feedback. When you're thinking about a business name, talk to a lot of people, get, get feedback because um, other, people may, other people may see things that, that you don't see. So then developing your product. Wow, this is even smaller font. Um, yeah, this, is, this was a... Speaking of Ford, Henry Ford quote, time spent getting a thing right is not time wasted, it's time saved in the end. So don't rush to market with a product that you haven't fully perfected and fine-tuned getting it right. Um, it's, it's really important. So evaluate all the options. Uh, one thing that I am trying to, uh, um, trying to do at this point is, it was advice I got from somebody else, but we do a lot of design. And when we're designing something, it's easy to just jump into your, you know, your computer design software and just pump something out and be like, this is great. Let's go with it. But what's important is to look at it from different angles. And so I had somebody tell me, you know, every time I design something, I design it three different ways. And then when you do it that three different times, you then have some information to look at. Oh, I like the way I did that better on this one. And, uh, it's, you know, this one didn't work. And you can take that information and really come up with a better product in the end. So evaluate all the options. Have a test group evaluate. Um, again, if it's something simple like, you know, you're doing bread or granola, some sort of pastries or whatever, ha just have people try it. Is it good? And, and you know, talk to people who, are, who you feel like would actually tell you no. You know, you don't want to just go talk to people and, you know, your grandma and grandpa and your mom and dad, everybody's going to be like, oh, yeah, it's great. But you want to keep an eye on them. If they spit it out behind your back, then you know you got something wrong. Um, Develop a quality control process. Quality is super important. Um, 
again, I mean, I've, I made mistakes when in the bread business when I was doing that, you know. Um, if you have one batch of bread that you forget to put, I don't know, salt in or something, um, and you don't catch it, that's a, that's a big problem. So you have to put processes in place to make sure that, that you don't make those mistakes. Um, and then packaging and presentation, that's really important. Make sure it's catchy. Um, so, and then this is honestly like going back to the financial things, knowing how to manage your money. Um, pricing your product is almost the most important thing. And you have to price it, um, you know, write down all the product costs. And then calculate little things. Like literally on our products, we calculate the packaging costs all the way down to the tape for the top of the box. Um, even if it's two cents, you got to know how much it costs. Um, so everything, literally everything, the box, the bubble wrap, the, um, the label that goes on top, everything. Um, then, then factor in your labor. Say, how much do you feel like this, this is worth, you know? Um, and don't underestimate this. This is one thing that you can do. Uh, you know, you'll be like, oh, I'm only 15 or I'm only 19, 20, whatever. I, you know, no, if, if you're doing something that has value, look at what, what other people would get paid to do this, you know? Um, because at some point you may have to hire somebody to do it. So you can say, oh, I'm just welding up this little thing. And if I get 25 bucks labor, I'm fine. Well, what happens if somebody comes along and you got to pay them $15 to do that? Well, then you're not getting 25 bucks anymore. You're only getting 15 and so, or, or 10. And so you have to go at that with this mentality of making sure that you have labor built in and then profit on top of labor. Because at some point you're going to have to pay other people to do the labor and you need to be having that profit margin that keeps the business afloat and pays you. And then add a little extra to cover surprise costs. We still do this on our products, even though you cover every little thing. Um, you know, we have steel tariffs that, that, that come up and prices go up. And you can't just raise your price on a customer all of a sudden, um, at least not super frequently. So we've had to raise our prices on a lot of things because of steel prices going up. But we held off a long time because we had that buffer in there. Um, and so you definitely want to include in there, you know, I mean, at least 10% above your costs and your labor before you calculate your, your profit that you want to put on top um, just to cover those little unforeseen things. Um, it can be, I mean, for instance, things like you run out of inventory and you have to have it overnighted. Um, you, gotta, you don't want to have to eat that necessarily. All right, and then moving on to market and sell. So, again, presentation of the product. Make sure it's catchy. If you have a website, you need to have a website. A retail business is the fastest declining. Uh, it's a, I just heard recently somebody said retail is the worst business to be in right now. More, more stores are closing. It's not because the economy is not great. It's because everything's going online. And, so, and that's one thing I would, I would encourage everybody. Focus on something that, that can be sold online, not something that's just... Um, you know, has to be sold locally. Um, so labeling, packaging, um, look at market locations, advertising, ability to take credit cards is super important. Nobody uses cash anymore. Um, so even if you're just, uh, you know, starting off really small, you know, get your mom and dad to let you use their iPad or iPhone with a square card reader. You have to be able to take cards. All right. And then back to the, um, financial uh, money, tracking all of your expenses, income, outgo. Um, and then one thing that also really made a big difference in my business is, is that we started setting aside that COGS, again, that stands for cost of goods sold. Um, we started setting aside that money every time we sold a product. So it's really simple. Just think about it this way. Um, I'll use our business as an example. We sell a lot of things like rolls of plastic. Uh, with that, it's all it is is how much we paid for it. And so, if if we pay a hundred dollars for a roll of plastic, we might sell it for, uh, you know, two hundred. But that's our cost. And so, every time we sell one, and the, and I say every time, it's not it's not literally we're making a big transfer every sale that comes through. But at the end of the week, what we do is we have a report and we go down and enter in all the things that we sold, and then it automatically calculates because we have the the cost of goods sold entered in. It automatically multiplies it and calculates that column. And so we'll transfer that amount of money into our purchasing account so that every time you sell something, you're replenishing that money so that when you need to restock, 
You've got the money. So this is this has made a like I said, it made a really big difference for us, and it's super important because what you don't want to do is look at your bank account and be like, oh, I got money. I'm going to go buy this new piece of equipment, and then next week you realize, oh, we're out of stock on this product. I got to go buy more, but you just went and spent that money on something else because you weren't keeping track of stuff. So that's that's a really important aspect again of just tracking your money. All right. Um, and then wrapping this up, and then we'll have a bit of time here for, um, for questions. So God needs business people. It requires much more grace and stern discipline of character to work for God in the capacity of a mechanic, merchant, lawyer, or farmer carrying the precepts of Christianity into the ordinary business of life than to labor as an acknowledged missionary in the open field, where one's position is understood and half its difficulties obviated by, the very, by that very fact. It requires strong spiritual nerve and muscle to carry religion into the workshop and business office, sanctifying the details of everyday life and or ordering every worldly transaction to the standard of, Bible, of a Bible Christian. So um, this is, it's, I mean, it says right here, it's, it's more difficult to bring your Christianity into your business transactions than it is to be a missionary in, in the field. And then lastly, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. This is going back to that quote where, you know, you have to focus on that self-improvement, making sure that you're improving yourself, doing everything with your might. And then everything that bears any relation to the work of God should be as nearly perfect as human brains and hands can make it. I love that quote. I, I tend to focus maybe too much on, I'm a perfectionist a little bit, but the point is, I think as Christians, we have a duty to do everything to the best of our abilities and to the highest standard that we can. And so, you know, this, this backs that up. So wanting to do something perfectly, wanting to get it right, wanting to not settle for status quo or, oh, well, most business people are stressful, are stressed out. And so I just naturally I'm going to be stressed out. Honestly, don't stress out. I uh, sometimes, but rarely am I stressed. And that's because I've focused a lot of energy on making sure that the business um, has systems that are in place that, that handle that for me. Um, and so, you know, that's all part of, for me of just making sure that I'm doing to the best of my abilities what God has given me to do. Um, all right, so at this point, I think we'll transition into questions. I often, again, don't really know what people are here to, to learn and, and to gain. And so I'm more than happy to answer any questions um, that anybody has. So the question was, what do we use for accounting software? Um, we are using QuickBooks Desktop. The reason for QuickBooks Desktop is because we do not have high-speed internet. Uh, we have satellite internet, and I tried to use desk, uh, the, the online version of QuickBooks, which is where they're focusing most of their development energy and everything, but it just didn't work for us. If you've got to sit there and wait for every, you know, for the page to load every time you have to do a new invoice or something, it's just not efficient. So we use QuickBook, QuickBooks. Um, in some ways, it's nice to just purchase the, the software, the desktop software, because it's a one-time thing. The online, it's a monthly or annual subscription. But um, QuickBooks is definitely, um, I'm not going to say it's the best, but it, it, for larger businesses, it's really good. There are other softwares out there that I have done a little bit of research that can integrate better with some of the... Um, for instance, like Shopify, if you're doing an online thing, there are some some softwares that will integrate better with those e-commerce platforms um, where you don't have to manually enter all your transactions in order for, to balance everything out. And that's really valuable. So I'm not going to stand here and say, go do QuickBooks. But I could also give, if somebody had specific questions, um, I, I could, I, I mean, I'm going to put my contact information up on the screen and uh, feel free to reach out and ask any questions that way as well. What, what do we pay for credit card transaction fees? Um, so a typical fee is going to be in that, um, 
probably for most people like 2.8 to 3.2. But because of the volume of transactions that we're doing, I think right now we're paying about 2.4. So uh, you can get better. But, but if you work with just like PayPal, which PayPal is actually one of the most expensive from my experience. But if you work with like uh, Square or uh, I don't know, the, you're going to probably be in that just under 2 to 3%. Favorite books? One that I really love is called The Personal MBA. Um, this, it's uh, Josh Kaufman wrote the book. Um, and what it is is basically he's just saying, look, you can go and uh, go to some school and pay $200,000 and get an MBA, but a lot of what they'll teach you is outdated information um, that, you know, I mean, everything is just evolving so fast these days. So you get older instructors that are, instructors that are teaching you out-of-date stuff. And so his point is just read, you know, read books. Like if you read like 100 books on entrepreneurship, finances, sales, marketing, this sort of thing, you literally can, if you have the desire to learn and the drive, you can give yourself even a more advanced education than what you would get getting an MBA degree. All right, so the question was, as a parent, I'm not a parent, so I, I don't know. Let me make that bigger because you're not going to be able to see that. Um, if, you're, if you have young children that are... Um, you know, that have all kinds of ideas, passionate about coming up with some sort of a business endeavor. Um, how do you guide them into making the right decisions and, and not getting distracted on multiple different ventures? Um, I definitely, I do think it is um, important to, to focus. You know, you can't just allow yourself to, to jump on every different little idea that comes up. And so focus is important. Um, I would just list all the things and just start checking them off based on, you know, I mean, run them through some criteria. Is it, what's the potential to expand this business? Um, what's the market, you know, but the biggest thing is honestly what you're most passionate about. Cause there's been studies done that prove that, um, if you have, say you have two different opportunities in front of you, one of them, there's like a lot of competition, but you really want to go that route. Like it's what you're passionate about. Say, you know, something like, um, web development or something. There's tons of web developers, but if that's like what your passion is, go for that. Whereas you could have maybe a secondary idea that there's no competition. You think it's a good idea. There's probably a lot of potential to make money, but it's not something that you really feel passionate about. Even though the, the, the second opportunity could be better on paper, you'll succeed at a higher level in what you're passionate about. So, so I mean, I, and I hate to say that because it sounds like the world nowadays is just like, follow your heart, you know, go with your passion, whatever. But it really is true in this case. Like, I mean, as long as what you're passionate about aligns with, you know, what the Bible says is good business and all these different things, counsel with spirit of prophecy, go for what you're passionate about, what really makes you excited, what keeps you up at night, um, what, want, what makes you want to jump out of bed in the morning. That is what you will really succeed at. Okay, an LLC is, stands for Lim Limited Liability Company. Um, it's important, it becomes important when you have a business that has the potential of um, getting sued. So, which is kind of any business these days. So, um, basically, it gives you protection. It, give, it, it puts your, your business in a, a sh, under a, an umbrella, basically, that protects your personal assets. Um, but there's lots of caveats to that, so you have to study it. Like, if you, if you have an LLC and you have business accounts, but you go and use your business accounts for personal things that totally, it totally can basically destroy that structure. If you get sued and they come in and audit your business and they see, oh, well, you bought, you know, why are you paying for your kids, you know, music lessons from your business? All right, now you just sort of basically destroyed your, your structure there. So, but yeah, it is to, to protect your personal assets. So for instance, this farmer's friend gets sued, um, they, you know, we obviously have insurance that covers that sort of stuff, but they could never get like my personal dwelling, my personal vehicle, stuff like that, because it's not tied with the business. If you're a sole proprietor, it's all, you know, it's all up for grabs. So LLCs are good. 
LLCs are more expensive. You can do like a DBA sole proprietorship for just a few dollars a month. I don't, or a few dollars a year really. It's like, I think where we are, it's like $15 a year to have your business license and whatever. For an LLC in Tennessee, it's $300 a year. Um, I don't know if that's different other places, but um, it doesn't complicate your taxes. Uh, an LLC is not a federally recognized entity. So from the IRS perspective, you're still a sole proprietor running a, you're just self-employed. So your business profits and loss still go on your, your personal tax return. At what point do you need an EIN number? I would do it at the very beginning. It doesn't cost anything. Well, I don't think it costs anything. Yeah, I, it's been a while since I did it, but it doesn't, I don't think it costs anything. Um, and basically the reason for an EIN number, it stands for employee identification number, which you don't have to have employees. I don't know why they call it that, but um, it just allows you to, it's, it's basically, uh, I don't know, but basically it's, you use an EIN instead of your social security number. So any, anything that calls for social security numbers as, as a business, you can use your EIN number. So definitely I would do that. Yeah, so the question again was, um, how do you transition from just being a small business that maybe is just yourself or you and a couple family members to starting to add employees and expanding that business into something bigger? Um, yeah, go take it slowly, uh, really do a lot of research. Employees can make or break a business. Um, there's no doubt about it. So make sure you get people who want to work for you, um, who are passionate about what you're doing. And, and, you know, people are like, well, the business that I'm doing, uh, you know, you can't be passionate about making flame weeders. Yeah, you can. You just have to like metal and, you know, serving customers and making high quality stuff. But yeah, finding the right people is, uh, is important. Uh, I don't know if I really answered that. I mean, I'm trying to think of other for me, I feel like the biggest thing, okay, the other thing is systems. You have to have systems in place because uh, if, if you're just a sole proprietor, you're doing everything, you know where your tools are, you know where, you know, you know exactly how to do this process, whatever, it's great. Well, as soon as you start hiring somebody and telling them or showing them how to do stuff, you might show them once and then you expect they've got it. Well, next time you turn around, they're doing it wrong. And you're like, what's going on? I'll show you. Oh, I forgot, you know, whatever. These, uh, it happens all the time. So you have to have systems in place that are documented that show this is how you do this, and uh, and that makes a world of difference. It's scalable. Systems are are scalable. You can if you have that system written down, you have it in your computer document, whatever. Um, you can hire anybody to come in and uh, and just show them this, and they can follow the steps. I mean, for instance, we did this with um, assembling our greens harvesters. It's kind of a complicated process from start to finish. There's a lot of little things that go together and it all has to line up and everything. So we have one girl that does all the assembly on, on our harvesters, but you don't want to, you don't want your business to, to depend on this one person too extensively. I mean, she's getting married. She's going on a two week honeymoon. You know, what happens if she gets pregnant and has to take maternity leave or, or quits the job completely, you know, you can't depend on one person. And so we went in there and documented the whole process, videoed it and, and went step by step multiple times and, and laid that all out in a binder. And then, uh, and then you have to test that to see if it works. So then you have somebody who has no clue how to do it, come in and follow the steps and if, see if they do it right. So these are kind of things that, that it takes a lot of time to get it set up. I mean, a lot of time. You really have to focus on this because it takes so much time, especially the bigger your business gets. But if you start doing this at a, at a, when you're small, it's a lot easier to, to expand. Okay, so the question is, so in my business, we're manufacturing. So the question was, at what point do you um, decide when you should be outsourcing stuff or doing it yourself, this sort of thing? So we actually did a little bit differently. We started out trying to do it all in-house. And then realized we couldn't do it, so we outsourced it for quite a few years. And then just in the last three years, we've brought all of our manufacturing back in-house. So um, I would say at first, I mean, especially in this business, there's a large upfront cost for equipment. Find a good machine shop that you can work with or something and just outsource stuff. You're doing the stuff that only you can do well, which is designing product, marketing it, selling it. You know, there's a lot of people who know how to make parts. So we got to the point where when our machine shop told me we're buying a new machine just to run your stuff, it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then we could be buying our own machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so the question is what's better not for profit or for profit? So, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. If you're trying to get donations, uh, 
you want to be a nonprofit because you're going to have a hard time giving people to give you money if you're not a nonprofit. But I'm not about asking for money. And so I would, I would definitely say go for profit. I mean, yeah, taxes, I mean, I don't know. I honestly haven't researched all about nonprofits. I just know that I'm not doing a nonprofit. So, yeah, I think really the only advantage of nonprofits is if you're trying to get donations. And then you can give people tax deductible receipts. And I, your taxes are definitely different. I don't know how they're different, but probably not as much. So, Okay, witnessing through – how do you witness through your business? Um, again, we're online and, and primarily dealing with customers over the phone and through email. So – um, there's a few different ways we do that. Since we're actually selling physical product, every package that goes out the door, we send glow tracks with it. So, um, and that's a, you know, that's a big thing. We, we do, we try to focus on, um, I don't know, a, a kind of neutral stuff. Like we're not sending like, you know, I don't know, just really deep mark of the beast stuff and whatever, like the end of the world is coming, this sort of stuff. We'll, we'll send things like, um, you know, we do quite a few health things and then just really basic stuff. But we're also planning on writing our own. So we're working with Glow to develop one specifically geared toward agriculture because that's what we're doing. So like agriculture in the Bible, the benefits of that. So if you want to help write it, <laughs> I try to get my dad to do it, but he's not making good headway. So, oh, you want it when it's done. Okay, me too. So. <laughs> But yeah, I think that'd be great because then it's something that's that people are, are we know that the people that are buying for us, from us are interested in gardening and interested in nature. And there's so many people. I mean, most of our customers are are definitely not Christian, pretty much agnostic or whatever. There's all these different terms for it, but they don't believe in any kind of a god. But they're working in the garden and they believe that this is an amazing world that they're working in. They're seeing the power of just working in the soil. And so I think if we can have something that that connects all that and makes them think, well, actually, maybe it is kind of hard to think that this all just evolved, you know? Um, then hopefully that will be even more powerful. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.